Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, as we read verses 29 through 34. Hear now the word of God. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word, we all have struggles and challenges. For some, it is lethargy. For others, it is anxiety. For others, still, it is distraction or discontentment with your will for their lives. The possibilities are truly endless. And so because the needs are so varied, Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of your word today so that we hear the truth that you know we need. And would you help us to believe it? It's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. One of the exciting things about moving to the Pacific Northwest from Kansas is that the drives here are interesting. The whole state of Kansas is flat as a pancake. We don't have interesting drives. Uh, and so when I moved up here, every single time you drive anywhere, there's an adventure, there's a turn, there's a place that you could almost die, always. Um, for like three years, we lived in Phoenix, and so the most adventurous, exciting, slash terrifying drive that you could do, and I'm sure some of you have done this drive, the drive from Flagstaff to Phoenix. Um, the drive from Flagstaff to Phoenix is especially exciting if you're pulling a trailer behind your vehicle or you're driving a moving vehicle because you just have these miles and miles at like a 5 to 7% grade just going down and you think, this is where I find out if I die early or not. And um, it's very steep. To get to Jerusalem from Jericho, you had to walk a path called the Ascent of Adamim. And it was a steep path and it was a tough walk. And so even though it was only maybe 15 miles, you really had to prepare yourself um, because you are traveling a great distance up to get to Jerusalem. That's why they have all of these songs of ascent that you find in the Psalms because the walk from Jericho to Jerusalem involves such a, such a, tra- such a journey upward. Uh, going to Jerusalem meant that you stopped off in Jericho and while you're in Jericho, you, you get refreshed and you rest and then you leave again. And so Jesus here in today's passage, he's leaving Jericho after preparing for this difficult last leg of the journey to Jerusalem where the passage takes place. Now, when Matthew relates this story to us, he mentions that these are two men by the road. In Mark's gospel, he only mentions the name of one of the men. He mentions the name Bartimaeus. 
So when Mark relates the healing of Bartimaeus here, Mark remembers his name. And probably the source for Mark is Peter. And so this is something that has stuck with Peter. Um, the Synoptic Gospels all include the healing of various people, but Bartimaeus is the only one that gets mentioned by name. Something about this man, something about his cry, he and his friends cry, stuck with the disciples so that years later that name still resonated them with them. But what is it about Bartimaeus? What is it about Bartimaeus that deserves our attention? We can see a few hints by actually looking at the gospel accounts of these men because in the faith of Bartimaeus and in his unnamed friend, um, we see a faith that is worth imitating. Now, this is one of the really important things uh, about faithful people in scripture that, that, that we sometimes miss out on is the idea of examples, examples of faith. We shouldn't see the Bible only as a compendium of examples because one of the things that, that and maybe, maybe you grew up with this, where you just read the Bible and you're just looking through it for constant good examples. Be like David, be like Daniel, be like Jesus, um, be like John, be like, and you just go through the list of all the people that you're supposed to be like and that you're supposed to exemplify. And that can be healthy. That can be healthy if you have a healthy understanding of, of looking to Christ. But oftentimes, that sort of repetitive method of reading scripture can bring along moralizing tendencies where we forget the gospel and we start to believe that the, God, that the Bible is mainly a book about how to be a good person. And in that sense, we've lost sight of actually what true examples of faith are. Because true examples of faith, yes, they live these things out and yet... And yet the, the actions themselves are not the, the goal. The goal is resting in Christ and trusting in him. And so because of that, sometimes we have this sort of overreaction against examples where we say, well, we don't want to keep talking about people in scripture as examples. And yet that would be a mistake. That would be an overreaction. That would be the wrong reaction to the misuse of examples in scripture. In scripture, you oftentimes see people set forth as examples. Think of the book of Hebrews in the book of Hebrews, the author is reminding us to look at the faith of those who came before. And he tells us to imitate their faith. And so today, I, I want us to not be reactionaries. I want us to go ahead and give in to that command. Let's give in to the command to look at the examples of faith that have come before us. And so I want us to see these men, these blind men, as an example of faith for us today. And there are two things about these men that I want us to imitate. First, these men know who they are. And second, they know where to go. Both of these things should be imitated by us. They know who they are and they know where to go. So first, we, we need to see that these men know who they are. You know, one of the most important things in the world is that we re recognize honestly who we are and honestly what our position is. Um, Think of the many, many people who come up to Jesus in scripture. Think of all of the people who come up to Jesus and they come up to him with presumption. They come up to him with demands. They just presume that Jesus will listen to them and that he owes them something. Um, maybe one example of this is, is James and John, right? They, they came to Jesus. We saw this last week. They came to Jesus with an attitude of entitlement. Think of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus thinking, oh, Jesus, you're going to, you're going to fix that little hole in my soul. 
um, the, the Pharisees and the scribes talk to Jesus as if he owes them answers to their questions, to their grilling. Barely any trace of humility, of self-understanding from these folks. But think of the difference here. Bartimaeus and his companion are not like that at all. These are beggars. So many people are proud of the way that they earned their way. They, they worked hard for everything they have. And if we are not careful, and if we don't see ourselves with humility, we may do the same thing. We may become before God with that sense of, I've earned my position here. I have, I've gotten myself here somehow. But think of these men's position. These men are helpless. In our own day, we have sort of a social help for someone in this position. If, if somebody is blind, they have resources that they can draw upon. Uh, a social safety net that did not exist for men like this in Jesus' day. Uh, on top of that, these are men who had to beg because they had no bankable skills. There was no job for them. Um, in our own day, these blind men could do something Mentally taxing that let them use their other abilities besides sight. They could live uh, what you might think of as a very normal life. But in Jesus's day, these sorts of options didn't exist. I mean, imagine living in the first century and think of think of work in the first century, how tactile the work is. Uh, even more than today, how absolutely critical it would be to be able to see uh, and work with your hands. And as you put yourself in their shoes, I I hope that the the helplessness of their situation becomes more palpable. Uh, In worldly terms, there's nothing that can be done for these men. Doctors can't help them. They can't restore their sight. And before I go on, I want to say something. And this isn't just an example of a highly specific group. This isn't just a passage that's for blind people. And to the best of my knowledge, nobody here is blind. Uh, To the best of my knowledge, nobody here that's immediately hearing uh, the the preaching of the word is blind. And so it would be odd for us to look at this passage and say, well, this is a good passage for people who are blind to be inspired by. I think that the, the application here is broader. It's why it's stuck with the disciples. None of the disciples are blind. And yet this moment is important to them. Um, Bartimaeus isn't just someone here who is here in case someone reading the New Testament happens to have an eyesight problem. Um, Maybe we aren't physically blind. But like the disciples on the road to Jerusalem, there's plenty about God that we don't see. Either because we don't like it or because we don't want to know it or because we just have our limits and often don't understand God. We don't understand what he's up to. Deuteronomy tells us the secret things belong to our God after all. There is plenty that we do not see, that we do not know. Just like these men. We have blindness of our own that we have to contend with. There's so much. There's so much we can't see. There's so much we can't know. And because of that, we should really relate with these men more than we might. Um, Let's get really fundamental. Let's get really fundamental to being a Christian. All of us in our natural condition are blind. We are all in our natural condition, sitting beside the road of life, unable to even see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us this in John chapter 3. Paul illustrates our helplessness for us in Ephesians chapter 2 because there he reminds us that on our own, apart from Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. You don't get more helpless than dead. You don't get more helpless than dead. And that's where you and I are apart from Jesus. So do you see yourself here? 
We are not just about to witness a miracle. We are about to see what it is that Jesus does, how it is that Jesus works, what it is that Jesus specializes in. Jesus specializes in ministering to the helpless. He specializes in ministering to, the, to those who are in need and rescuing them. I don't want you to just think of other people when you hear that. I want you to see yourself because we are each more helpless than we realize. Each of us are far more in need of God's grace than we think. Um, think of how needy you are. You don't even know how needy you are. We live in the Pacific Northwest, a place where we just take for granted that it's going to rain. We take it for granted that it's going to rain, that the winter season is going to be a wet season, and the summer season is going to be a dry season. But why do we believe that? Do we, is there some universal law that's, that demands that it always rain in the winter months and that it always stay dry in the summer months? No. Scripture says that God causes the rain to fall. Think of the most basic need you physically have, which is probably to drink water, right? Probably your most basic need, or maybe, maybe breathing air. But even for something as basic as drinking water, we are helpless. We are in need of the most basic thing. Uh, this goes for every single thing you enjoy. The ability to breathe, right? According to Job 33, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 104 reminds us that when God takes away someone's breath, they die and return to the dust. You are helpless even to breathe apart from God. That shouldn't give you anxiety, by the way. That should give you confidence. You are unable to even sleep apart from God. You know, we're talking about helplessness. Did you know you're unable to even sleep apart from God? Psalm 127, he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives to his beloved sleep. Even to be able to sleep is something that you are helpless to accomplish apart from God. Bartimaeus and his companion just add one more need to that list of things that they know they are helpless without in a, in a way that is often hidden from us. We don't think of our sight as a gift from God. We just don't. We get up every day and we open our eyes and we can see. Um, these men don't do that. They have something else on their list that they know they are in, are in need of. They know who they are. And they know who they are better than we do. In some ways, better than we do. We are blind to our helplessness. These men live with a constant sense of their helplessness. And so what do Bartimaeus and his friend do? When they hear the hubbub, they hear the approach of Jesus. They hear that Jesus is passing by. Do these guys sit and, and fret and, and mourn and feel sorry for themselves? No. In, instead, they, they spring into action is what happens here. And, and that is because these men know who they are. Uh, they know that they are helpless. They know that they are blind. They know that they are in need of a touch from the Savior. And because they know who they are, the next point they know where to go. They know where to go in their need. The response to the presence of Jesus by these men doesn't really start with them. Uh, think about this. If they, had, if they had their sight, then they could see Jesus coming, perhaps on their own and take action. But the initiative here belongs to Jesus because Jesus, first of all, is out. Jesus is available. He's near them. He's in proximity to them. He's among the people. 
And, and someone told Bartimaeus about Jesus. Someone told these two men about Jesus. Somehow, uh, Bartimaeus and his friend know that Jesus is there, and so they cry out to him. And their cry for mercy is it's amazingly sound in its theology, if you really look at the doctrine that's contained in their cry. And it's sound on at least two levels. On the, on the one level, the one level, they express a knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. It's good theology. <clears throat> they call him the son of David. You might wonder, where does that term come from? If you go back in the Old Testament to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David. And in that, in that promise, he promises that the Messiah would be a son of David. He promises that one of David's descendants is going to be the Messiah that sits and establishes an eternal throne. And in Isaiah chapter 9, same thing happens. That, that promise gets reiterated. Actually, the promise that the Messiah will be a son of David comes up over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Um, one, of, one of David's descendants. And so here's the thing. Like so many others in the New Testament, these blind men understand that Jesus is God's answer to this old promise um, you see others, especially in the intertestamental period, who know that, that this is happening, that, that this is coming. You have people like Zechariah and, and Anna and Simeon who have looked for the Savior and they have watched for him, though not with their physical eyes. They've watched for him with the eyes of their heart. They've looked forward to this day to the point that Simeon, when he sets his eyes on the Savior, says, I can die now. John Chrysostom says this. Let us listen to these blind men who see better than many. They were not able to see the Lord when he came near to them. They had no one to guide them, yet they tried to come near to him. Such is the nature of a resolute soul. It is borne up by the very things that hinder it. Uh, J.C. Ryle points this out. I love this insight from Ryle. And maybe it's just the way he says it, but he says, Bartimaeus was blind in body, but not in soul. He was blind in body, but not in soul. This is a man whose eyes of understanding were opened. He knows what he needs. He needs sight, right? And he knows who he needs. He needs Jesus. And so these men come with good theology because they know who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. Uh, they're calling on him as the son of David. This is the savior of sinners that they're looking for. And on the other hand, so that's the first way that their theology is, is good because they know who Jesus is. But on the other hand, their theology is good because they don't ask Jesus for something they think they deserve. Uh, as we pointed out, there are many that just come to Jesus with that sense of entitlement. And these men are not entitled at all. They're not demanding. Instead, think of the way that they cry out for help. They're very specific. They're, they're very specific in saying that theirs is a cry for mercy. They're asking Jesus for mercy. They're not asking Jesus for justice. They're not saying our eyesight was taken from us and it shouldn't have been taken from us. And it was unjust for us to, to be either born blind or to lose our sight. And so Jesus, right the wrong, uh, undo the thing that, that, that happened to us. They don't do that. Instead, they don't ask Jesus for justice. Instead, you know, Bartimaeus doesn't say, I deserve to be healed. Lord, you don't know all the good things I've done. He doesn't come to him with, with arguments. He doesn't come to him with claims. Instead, he says, the thing I'm asking for is something I don't deserve. Give me mercy, Jesus. There is a difference, you see, between asking for mercy 
and defending our rights. Bartimaeus and his friend are asking for mercy. As sinners, there's no leverage that we have over God. Anything that we ask for is a request for mercy. Because he doesn't owe us anything. We, we've merited nothing. We deserve nothing. We don't deserve breath. We don't deserve sleep even. Those fundamental things that he gives to us. And each of us can look to God and we can plead to him to give us mercy. Give us what we don't deserve. And the scripture says that the nature of God is such that he will. He gives richly to those who ask. Bartimaeus has cried out in his need, but his cries do no good apart from the call of Jesus. Now, Matthew doesn't include this, but Mark does. Mark includes this one moment where he, he, Jesus hears Bartimaeus and he says either to the crowd or to his disciples, call him. And so the call of Jesus is the turning point in the passage. As soon as the call goes forth, look at this man's joy and enthusiasm. Again, I keep going back to Mark because Mark gives us more details than Matthew does. Matthew is interested in the healing. Mark is much more interested in these little tidbits here. But Mark mentions something. He tells us that throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Um, this morning I was reflecting on this passage in Isaiah that tells us that we should, that we should joyfully draw from the wells of salvation. And I was thinking of the joyfulness of somebody who hasn't had a drink in a long time and they see this crystal clear water and they just stick their face in it and just drink and how happy they are to finally have something to drink and how that's the way we come to God. And look at this. He springs up and throws off his cloak. Now, Reason tells us that if this healing doesn't work, he's never finding that cloak again. He's, it was, what's, where's he going to, how's he going to get it, right? I don't want to look too, for too much meaning here, but I want us to, to be like Bartimaeus in this sense. When the opportunity to be with Jesus comes, we should fly with determination and joy. Even if it means setting something aside, something that hey, maybe has been a huge help to us. For, for an Israeli person, for an Israelite living in Jesus' day, that cloak is everything. It's your, it's your bed mat. It's the, you curl it up, it becomes the pillow that you sleep on. It, it's, it's your sleeping bag. It's, it's everything. And this man is just is getting rid of it. And we might have to be rid of something that we used to treasure to come to Jesus. What could this cloak possibly matter compared to having Christ? That's what this man really is thinking. Bartimaeus would tell you, it's nothing. That cloak is nothing. Some Christians really struggle, though, to make time for God. Either the week is busy or we just have things we'd rather be doing. Sunday comes around, we're tempted to be elsewhere than in worship. You know, whatever it is, whatever it is that you are tempted to love more than worshiping God, than drawing near to God, Please, please take your cues from the example of Bartimaeus. Just cast it off. Whatever it is, spring up and and come. Um, Come like a blind man who's about to get his sight. Come like a hungry man about to be fed. Come like a deaf person who's about to hear again. Cast off whatever it is that needs to be cast off. He's face to face with, with Bartimaeus and his friend and he asks them the same question it's interesting. He asked the same question that he asked James and John. 
last week. What do you want me to do for you? This is such a contrast to James and John. James and John want power. These two men just want to see again. James and John speak from entitlement, from a desire to ascend. And Bartimaeus and his friends speak out of need. You almost have to wonder if James and John are there. And they are, they're probably present for this. And imagine they're cut to the heart as Jesus says the same question to these needy blind men that he asked them. And then he asked them the same question. And, they, and then you could just imagine in, in their hearts, they're thinking, what did we ask Jesus for? Power, authority, priority. What does this man ask for? He just wants to see again, right? Gut punch. In the face of real humility, our ambition just looks so small and petty, which it is. Have you ever found yourself occupied with petty things, small things, things that are needlessly eating you up, but they are also very real distractions from what God has told you really matters? Have you let yourself sweat the small stuff? Is your, is your anxiety or your discontentment growing? Because like James and John, you are stuck in the weeds. You are stuck in wishing the details of your life or your church or your family were different. Sometimes we just need to see a blind man and we need to see and we need to see the blind man so that we can be reminded of what matters so that we can confess I have been wrapped up in my own small little world lord for the sake of Christ please forgive me and help me to move past it. The helpless floundering of these men is transformed when Jesus calls out to them from the dark. He calls them out of their blindness out into the realm of those who can see physically. And here's what happens. Now their eyes can match their souls. These men ask Jesus to heal them. He asks them to open their eyes. And you know, in this moment, they really could go, because he heals them, right? They could go and restart their lives. They could focus on themselves. They could do what they always wanted to do. They could start practicing self-care. They could enjoy some me time finally. But, but instead, they use the sight that Jesus gives in order to become his followers. These men are blessed with a gift and they don't intend to waste it. They don't go off to live their own lives now. Verse 34 tells us that they become followers of Jesus. It says they recovered their sight and followed him. You know, it's, it's remarkable to think, but by the time this passage ends, the story of, of Bartimaeus has come full circle. When the, when the story began, he was a man who had become an ordinary fixture outside of Jericho. Uh, people knew where he begged. They knew to expect him. His daily routine was limited to a small area where he lived and operated. Um, these men came in their absolute need, with absolute desperation, looking to be saved by the Messiah that they knew could do what was needed most. They went from being men with a small world to becoming followers of Jesus, who is Lord of all the world. They actually left and they followed Jesus. They went with the crowd out into the wider world where more people with blind hearts would understand and have their eyes of understanding open, just like God did for them. That's the second point this, this morning. These men know where to go. They go to Jesus. I want us to imitate that faith. We need to go to Jesus. Jesus is here for us today. And just like Bartimaeus, none of us can see with um, the eyes of our heart on our own. 
In that sense, we are in the same boat as these men. Even today, he presents himself to us and he says, what do you want me to do for you? He does this every, every Sunday. He really does it every day. But every Sunday, his word is presented to you and he asks you, what do you want me to do for you? What do you say to him? What is your need? What's your sense of what you need from him? Where is your heart? How would you really answer Jesus's question? Would you be like the disciples and say, uh, I want to be admired. I want to be important. I want people to listen to me. I want to be wealthy. I want to be powerful. Would you answer like the disciples before their eyes are opened? Or would you answer like Bartimaeus and let me recover my sight? I want to see. Jesus called this man. And if Jesus had remained silent, he never would have found Christ. In other words, left to himself, he would never find the thing he needs apart from Jesus. He would remain blind and he would remain in the dark. And this is, this is us. Jesus says this in John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, he does the double truly. He wants you to know that it's true. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot See the kingdom of God. He doesn't say no one can enter the kingdom of God. He says we cannot so much as see the kingdom of God unless he does a work in our hearts. We, we depend on God even for the sight of what is good and, and true. Uh, you know, at one point, the people of Israel were resisting God and they weren't listening to his word and listen to what the Lord says. He says, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand and eyes to see or ears to hear. That's in Deuteronomy 29. Do you see that if God doesn't give you eyes, you won't see? If he doesn't give you ears to hear, you won't hear. You're dependent on him for those very basic things. And scripture tells us that when we, when we choose to follow Christ, it is God whose grace has changed our disposition so that we even want to make that choice. We never had the power to do it on our own. We really only saw because our eyes were opened. We heard because he unstopped our ears. And here's what the Bible teaches. Only God can do that. Only God can create a clean heart. Only God's Holy Spirit can take away a person's heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh and make them responsive to his word. You see, we aren't just blind, we're hard-hearted. We're blind, he can make us see. We're deaf, he can make us to hear. You know, the whole of Christian history is filled with the hardest hearts being changed, the most stubborn and reluctant people being transformed if you read C.S. Lewis's biography, at one point he calls himself perhaps the most reluctant convert in all of Christian history because God is in the business of changing hearts. Don't worry about whether your eyes are opened. Simply come. Do you want to follow Jesus? Then, then follow him. Do you want to be saved? Then come to him. If you are willing to believe, then you should take hold of him by faith. Don't wait to feel something. Simply reach out. You can pray like those in the Gospels. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. You can come to him with prayer, asking him to honor his word. Lord, you tell me that if I believe with my heart, you tell me that if I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, that you will save me. Come with your weak faith. Ask him to help you, to help him to ask him to keep that promise and never to let you go. 
We should not overthink these things. When we talk about blindness, we talk about deafness, we talk about hard-heartedness. We, we should not get stuck staring at ourselves, focusing on ourselves, trying to figure out whether that's happened for us. Instead, like Bartimaeus, when we hear the voice, we should come. The Psalms say today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't double down on unbelief. Instead, put down your defenses. Put down your excuses. Put down your reasons and your resistance. And listen to the invitation of Jesus. Come. To come means that you set your eyes on Jesus. You trust in him. You trust in his death to cover your sins. That you will follow him as one of his disciples. There will be ups, there will be downs. You know, I am sure that Bartimaeus and his friend, as they follow Jesus, their life was still filled with ups and downs. It's not like the mountaintop experience happened for them and then all the difficulties were over after that. No, these men experienced something amazing, but now they walk as ordinary disciples. Let these men be an example for us. Do not be afraid to rest all of your confidence in the gracious words of Jesus or to believe all of the promises that he has made. What else is the saving, is the life of saving faith but a constant, ongoing, nonstop leaning on our unseen Savior? The first step of the Christian is crying out like Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Peter tells us this. Think, think of this. this. I hope you see a direct line between Bartimaeus and us. Peter says, even though you do not see him, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Right there, you're like Bartimaeus. You do not see him right now. You do not see him. None of us see Jesus. Even though you do not see him, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. But every step after that is a similar humble request. Lord, help me to see. Lord, help me to see. Lord, help me to see. Whether we're new to the faith or whether we are longtime saints, our duty is the same. Every day we look at the Lord that we cannot see and we say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We get out of bed. We ask the Lord for daily mercy. We ask him for daily bread. We ask him for daily sight. Walking by faith and not by sight. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That is how we live. Let's pray together. You, O Lord, are filled with mercy for helpless sinners. Like Bartimaeus, all of us are naturally helpless and blind. And yet you are a God who sends your spirit, who opens hearts, who changes minds and renews people after your image. You are a God of grace. And we ask you today, O God, to not only convince us of our helplessness and our neediness, but help us to seek each and every day from the Savior that very help that Bartimaeus cried out with, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.